Hi, welcome to the podcast, to Hell and Back. Uh, this is Charlie, and it's July 18th, 2018, and uh, it's 4 o'clock in Eastern, East Coast time. And um, I've listened to some other podcasts. It was good that I didn't listen to any before, because then I would be worried about how I'm doing mine. You know, it's, <laughs> it helps to have nothing else in mind and no standard by comparison. But then I think, oh, my God, I should have music at the beginning the way they do and other things. But at least so far, that's just not been uh, something that occurred to me. So anyway, um, this is a uh, second um, in a row podcast about the topic of radical acceptance. And uh, I had to really think. Um, First, I I really had to start by radically accepting that my decision to do do a second podcast on this uh, is questionable, that it has pros and cons, and and it could just be a turnoff and might not be justified. So I had to to first kind of think of, uh, why am I doing this uh, a second time? Because uh, uh, here's the reasons not to. Linehan's manual in the second edition, the skills manual, is so good now on this topic. It has so many perspectives and angles and, and explanations and uh, exercises and practices. I highly commend any of you to that um, because uh, this is a pivotal major uh, skill, whether you're in DBT or not, and everybody uses it to some degree or other and will recognize it if you don't already, um, uh, but uh, probably doesn't use it enough, uh, most of us. So uh, it's hers is so great. Second, I covered quite a bit last week in a kind of um, stream of consciousness way uh, that tried to get at a lot of angles about radical acceptance and towards the end got to sort of details about practically using radical acceptance uh, step by step, which is how Linehan puts it in the manual. It's also really uh, well written about by Tara Brock in a book on radical acceptance, and it's all over the place um, in lots of different places and lots of different terminology. So why am I doing this again? Well, I, I guess it's very personal. Um, I'm doing it because at the end of last time, I had the very strong feeling. It was one of those situations where I felt like, well, I've said a lot of what I wanted to say, uh, and I hope it's helpful. But I had this feeling at the end like that was, there was not enough practical help. Um, there wasn't enough, here's what you do, and here's why it's so helpful, and here's what you do if this happens or that happens. So I thought, God, I should really do another one or part of another one on um, being more practical with real examples that would be helpful. So that brought me to this. And then um, another thing was uh, a particular issue, problem, uh, a difficult thing to accept that I'm dealing with in my life uh, have been for some time and how I thought this might advance that cause. So it's very selfish. But then the whole point of the podcast is very selfish. It was really just to talk in my own room uh, about things I care about in order to deepen my thinking about them and and with the hope that they'd be helpful to other people too. Um, So it's a selfish decision. 
So let me go over that, though, as an example to just jump into radical acceptance. So I had to radically accept that my decision to talk was maybe questionable. Um, and so I've realized that I've gone through a number of steps about it, and there is kind of a format or template or a step-by-step. It, it, doesn't, it isn't exactly the steps Linehan talked about, but let me tell you uh, how I feel I've gone through this. Um, you know, I think first, and I think this is probably always first, the way I think of radical acceptance. It's a little bit like approaching... Uh, a challenging athletic event or the practice of mindfulness or other things like that um, in that you need to adopt a posture. And I think there's a posture that we adopt in order to radically accept, in order to have the best chance of radically accepting whatever it is we're bringing into our awareness. And what is that posture? Um, I think it's a number of things. Uh, it is, it, it's sort of trying to give yourself the best chance of being accepting towards what you're thinking about or what you're noticing or what you're perceiving. Um, and uh, that in, probably includes uh, both internal and external factors like you might find that you're more accepting if you are away from everything else uh, or in a favorite location that's quiet, uh, that promotes a kind of um, soothing feeling or safe feeling or uh, comforting feeling where you can really relax your pores, your muscles, your nerves, your brain, your tension, where you can just kind of settle down and settle in to an atmosphere around you that feels like, all right, this, is, this feels like an accepting atmosphere or context. might be a certain home in your apartment or house, or it might be a certain place where you like to go, uh, and maybe where you're not too distracted because when you're trying to radically accept something that's difficult to accept, uh, it's very inviting to have distractions around, other things to do, other people to talk to, uh, other things to listen to. And so I think you want to be in a non-distracting environment that's uh, not too overstimulating, that it's not overwhelming what you're trying to do, um, where you can let your mind settle. And then I think part of the posture is uh, how you handle, how you pay attention, how you pay attention to various things, how you pay attention to your thinking so that your posture is, okay, let me be awake and alert to my thoughts as they pass through my mind, realizing they are thoughts. Let me be awake and alert to my sensations and my perceptions, the things that are coming in through my sensory modalities and through my internal perceptions in my body. Uh, let me be anchoring myself on my breathing. Uh, let me notice the intensity and fluctuation in my emotions and see if I can do things, whatever it takes, to bring my emotions down a bit and steady a bit. Uh, not, nothing perfect, none of these perfect, but it's really just 
trying to bias everything around your awareness uh, in a direction that makes you more likely to be able to focus, look at reality as it is, including and especially objectionable realities, and, uh, and then take them in. So I think the first thing, just like having a ready position as a baseball player, a hockey player, or anything else, or a ready posture in mindfulness practice, um, you want to get the best context around you and inside you in order to practice mindfulness. And so I think we often don't take acceptance, radical acceptance of things that are hard to accept as seriously as that, where we actually say, this is a job. This is going to be hard, but there are big payoffs uh, if I can do this. Um, I've got to get myself set and set up in order to accept what's going on. So I really, I just sat at a certain uh, coffee place that I love in Northampton where I live, um, and I took about half an hour, and I just decided I'm going to go through this and do this. I'm going to radically accept that I'm doing this podcast this, I did this this morning, and, um, and, and because I think when you radically accept things, you can then go into them full, with full force, with all commitment, with your heart and your soul, because you've accepted what you're trying to do, you've accepted what it is in front of you. And so I think that uh, they're just, that's one of many advantages to being radically accepting. So into that posture... Uh, I brought the doubts that I had, I brought them to mind, I brought the ambivalence to mind, I brought the urge to do something else to mind, which is an important part of this. It's sort of like, no, don't do this, Charlie. I brought the reluctance to mind and the urge, because there were a number of other things I could also be doing and that I'm interested in doing. But I thought, no, and I have to say this is a little bit of part of the lesson from uh, Natalia Garcia's times on the podcast, if you haven't listened to them, was, you know, she said many times about trying to accept uh, the death of her son, that when she had uh, a feeling of reluctance, of moving away from doing something that would bring her in contact with the cues, that would remind her of her son, and whenever she felt like leaning away from it, she would hear, notice that and then lean into it. And so I felt like, yeah, I noticed the urge to lean away from this podcast, and then I leaned into it um, and uh, radically accepted, okay, that has, there are these doubts I have, there are pros and cons, um, but you know what? Uh, as another step, I just thought, you know, hold on to those doubts hold on to that reluctance, hold on to the urge to get away. I'm hoping some of you are thinking as you listen about things that are hard for you to accept because I think these steps uh, can be translated. Um, so it's the urge to get away. And so it, this is not a small thing to do if it's an important thing that you've been avoiding, pushing away or not wanting to see, is that you then hang on to that reluctance Notice it. Let it be in you. Let it move around. Feel the ambivalence in your sensations, in your body, in your thoughts, in your emotions, such that you're kind of uh, holding a, a painful part of yourself. You're holding a reluctance, 
uh, and and you hold it long enough so that it starts to um, settle. You see it. You see it for what it is. You see your desire to run away, and you see that you have stayed. And so you've got you're kind of like uh, ready for the next step. And the next step for me was to see to start to now reconnect with why did I want to do it? Why did I want to do this podcast? And uh, today, and um, that also moved on to letting go of the doubts, the reluctance, uh, letting go of. Uh, and realizing that it, 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 it's not an earth-shattering decision to begin with in this particular case, uh, and things could go either way, but it's letting go of the doubt, letting go of the ambivalence. And uh, we can get paralyzed for a lifetime, or for years, or for months, or for days, depending on the thing we're talking about. Um, we can get paralyzed by doubt and ambivalence and uh, uncertainty and reluctance and hold ourselves in that uh, state and uh, it's part of what we're doing I think is not allowing ourselves from deeply within to radically accept uh, what we're looking at and that we're going and to radically accept the position we're going to take and we're going to take it boldly um, so that we don't have one foot on both sides all the time um, what I then also did when I got down to letting go of these doubts, and which then was going to more directly expose me to the idea of doing the second podcast on radical acceptance, was to just, again, by that point, it had been maybe 10, 15 minutes, just check in back into my breathing, which I slowed down and noticed it, check into my sensations that I was seeing and feeling and hearing in the place I was sitting, um, check in with my body, uh, check in with my values and see if I'm lined up with my values and, and to reconfirm that I'm in, a, in an accepting, not too distracting context. Um, so I did some of that, and then I needed to, um, to, at this point, and this is, I think, part of one of the several differences between accepting something and radically accepting something, I, I then moved on to not just accepting, okay, I'm going to do this podcast, as if I was reluctantly putting myself into it. Uh, but to radically accept was to embrace it, to say, I'm going to do this, uh, warts and all. Uh, whatever anyone thinks, whatever I think, however I feel afterwards, I'm going to do this. Um, and then, uh, then start to think about, okay, how am I going to do this? But uh, as I get back to uh, the more I've thought in depth about DBT, the more I realize that it, and, and Linehan obviously built this in, and it represents who she is. It's an all-in kind of life philosophy and treatment. It's all-in. You're all-in to what you do, uh, win or lose, uh, and uh, then you might change course, but rather than being one foot in, one foot out. So this is one of the many ways that radical acceptance uh, also operates, is that radical acceptance means you're all-in to accepting, and I'll say more about that. Let me jump to another example, literally, that happened today to me. Uh, this I would sort of put in the category of inconveniences because I think radical acceptance can be very helpful in our lives on daily events that, are, that I might call just inconveniences or, or unfortunate incidents or something like that, as opposed to uh, really troubling patterns that we can't uh, easily change. 
Uh, and then, as opposed also to lifelong uh, uncomfortable realities of who we are, who we've been, who our family's been, where we grew up, what kind of bodies we have, what kind of minds we have, uh, things that really happen, and things that happen to us as children that we can't go back and redo. So it's, uh, this, the, this is like the mildest version. Uh, so I went to a physical therapy appointment today. It was my first one uh, to go to after six months ago having hip replacement surgery. Uh, I've held off uh, because uh, at the suggestion of my surgeon and also my own intuition of considering different points of view about this, I just thought, no, I need to try to stay off it and not be pushing it, and all I need to do is let it rest as much as I can given my daily life. Um, and it's gotten better, but to the point where I think a physical therapy would work, and I've talked to the surgeon. So I went to this appointment after setting it up weeks ago because I wanted to go to a particular guy that was highly recommended by other people that I know. And uh, so I wasn't going to go to someone else in his clinic that wasn't him. So I set it up, specific date, specific time, today, 10 o'clock in the morning. And I showed up there about 15 minutes in advance because I figured they were going to have me filling things out, only to find that they had no record of my appointment uh, in their computer system. They had no knowledge of my having called. And, uh, and immediately I noticed uh, just flashes of annoyance uh, at how this happened. Uh, I noticed flashes of judgment of them. What kind of place is this? Should I be coming here? Uh, all within seconds, uh, an urge to make them feel bad. I wanted to say things that would make them feel even worse about this. So it was, they were already being nice and saying, oh, we're really sorry. But I didn't know if they really meant that or if they thought that, you know, that their system never screws up and it was probably me and they're just being polite. Um, and then, and so I noticed, uh, that kind of urge and wanting to make them figure out what happened and document it and everything. You know, I didn't go down that road very far, but I just noticed flashes of those kind of things. And almost simultaneously, maybe just after that, I noticed other kind of flashes of doubting my own memory of calling them, thinking, well, it is possible. I certainly am somebody who screws up in his memory sometimes. So maybe I didn't call them. Maybe I imagined calling them and thought of how it would go. And then I thought, no, 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 I called. And I was trying to reconstruct my memory of the phone call, knowing that I could be wrong, even though I thought I was right. And alongside that, I, I had emotions. I, I, I had associated flashes of embarrassment, of, oh, no, maybe I've done this, and maybe guilt in case I did it, and, uh, and uncertainty about it, obviously. So I sort of uh, was standing in front of the person there. All of this took place ra rather quickly. And I felt uh, at the same time both angry and embarrassed and defensive uh, with urges connected to every one of those. And I could feel that I might go down what I think would have been an unproductive direction of trying to make them feel bad. Uh, and then I thought, no, I'm just beginning with these people. They have a good reputation. They're actually acting nice. Um, it just was some kind of screw-up. Uh, so I thought, no, just notice that I want to go that way, but then really kind of like an instantaneously do the pros and kind of, no, maybe I should not go down that way. And literally as I was standing there trying to just sort of move on, move forward, which is one of the things radical acceptance 
allows us to do, I breathed in, thinking in my mind, Charlie, it is as it is, however it came to be. And breathing out, I thought, it's okay. Breathing in, it is as it is. Breathing out, it's okay. And I just sort of settled myself into the present moment in that way and radically accepted that however this came to be, it obviously came to be. And it was what it was. And so, next thing out of my mouth, I said, well, is there a possibility of rescheduling? Because this took a lot of weeks to get uh, to see this guy. And she went and said, oh, let me go talk to him. She went back somewhere and talked to him and came back and said, you know, he's got a couple options. One would be tonight at 7, if you're willing to come in the evening. And then she gave another one that's next week. And I said, you know, I could come tonight at 7. And we rescheduled it. And, and I noticed as I completed this that my body felt relaxed. I actually felt like, I don't know, I don't want to overstate this, but I just noticed right afterwards, oh, it's sort of like I wasn't tense. I wasn't angry. I was kind of breathing easily. I was then walking outside into what was a lovely day here. Um, and... and, and, and uh, and I had some positive feelings about these people. Oh, we worked this out. Um, and I filled out forms for them, actually, before I left. Um, so it felt like this was a good outcome. And I would say it's a good example of using acceptance and radical acceptance in the moment of an inconvenient thing, the equivalent of things like waiting in line somewhere that's going slowly or being stuck in traffic or being delayed for some reason or having somebody not respond the way you wish they would respond when you're buying something or doing something or a friend is being kind of a pain. You know, these kind of things that we live with day in and day out about so many things about ourselves and other people that it's good to be able to just move into something, open your eyes, recognize what's going on, um, allow yourself the reluctance, allow yourself the urge to reject what's going on and let yourself go through that. Um, in this case, it was easy and quick. And then just move on to trying to let go of that and accept, okay, what's going on and what's going to get me closer to what I'm trying to accomplish here. And so it's a very quiet and invisible use of radical acceptance. And it, and it makes everything look easy, and it makes it look a lot easier than it is. Because if we enter into that situation, any of these situations, in a bad mood, or on a bad day, or in not very accepting posture, or we've just come off of a couple stressful events, you could easily imagine, even in that little, relatively small inconvenience, you could imagine really like this is a moment to take this out on these guys, uh, whatever it is. And, uh, and, and then, you know, the, but radical acceptance, I, I was thinking about that, that as an analogy or a, no, not an analogy, a metaphor that I hadn't thought of before about radical acceptance, though usually anything I thought of has been thought of a thousand times before. So you may have heard it, but I sort of think, uh, Radical acceptance is such a transitional skill, a pivotal skill, and I mean literally pivot, that you pivot from one state of mind to another. And often it's pivoting 
in such a way that you can get unstuck and move forward and solve something that you haven't been solving because you haven't been accepting that it's there to solve or you haven't been fully accepting with your body, your mind, your soul, your heart, and everything that you need to accept with in order to just move forward. And if you do actually accept things, if, and that sometimes might take a minute, it might be a much more challenging one. But if you can accept what's real, which does not mean you agree with it, it does not mean you approve of it, and these are big points, um, you can then just kind of, it's almost like uh, a transmission in a car. It allows for the gears to shift. So you were going in reverse, and now you want to move to neutral, and now you want to move to drive or to uh, whatever is your next gear that you want to get into. And that capacity to move from one gear to another, you often have to go through radical acceptance. Like to get into mindfulness and a mindful state and wise mind often requires, as a prerequisite, radical acceptance of the conditions that you're with right then. In order to solve a problem, uh, often requires radical acceptance of the reality of the problem and some of the particular realities of the problem or the reality of the reluctance of you wanting to solve the problem uh, before you can actually just put your all into solving the problem. Otherwise, you're dragging forward, partially accepting, partially rejecting, partially solving, and partially not solving. And it's just, you know, a lot of us spend uh, parts of our lives in that kind of state, and it's really ultimately not very satisfying. So it's a pivotal skill, and it's like a, a transmission that allows you to shift gears. So there's many versions of that. For instance, when you, when you hear about the uh, discussion about either uh, effective, uh, I don't like the word, but um, grieving or uh, coping with trauma, that even in the podcasts where it's been focused on that, where more of the talk has been about using exposure, using exposure is just, you know, overlapping or right shoulder to shoulder with using radical acceptance. You, you want to put yourself all in to what you're exposing yourself to. And you have to radically accept certain things that you're frightened and you're going to do it though because you are aware of why you're doing it and it really has potential value. Um, and, and just being radically accepting of the situation, of the difficulty, of the background, of the causes, and of the future, why, why you're doing it, the more you can radically accept things, the more you can then say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get up. I, I have a fear of public speaking. I'm proceeding step by step. I'm radically accepting that I'm terrified. I'm radically accepting that I want to run away. And I'm radically accepting that I'm going to stand up there and expose myself to the fear. So it's, it, there's a lot of radical acceptance that weaves in and out of lots of DBT strategies, including those important ones I just mentioned. Now, a big one. That, th these, these have not been as big, especially that second one is just an inconvenience. But the one I want to tell you about now, I think uh, I was realizing as I go through different examples, uh, both of my own and others, but it's easier to talk. I don't mean to just be talking from me. It's just I know me better. I know my examples from the inside out better, but, but then I'll be moving on. Um, but this is a big one, a lifelong pattern. Uh, so taking it back a little first, as a baby and as a toddler, 
up to the age of three, and I think I've mentioned this before on a different uh, episode for a different reason, I was hospitalized four times. Uh, and three of them were for kinds of episodes that, uh, that uh, might have threatened my life, maybe did threaten my life. It certainly was that what was in people's minds when they put me in the hospital, one was for whooping cough, uh, that got really terrible and I couldn't breathe, and one was for a very high fever with strep, with uh, streptococcal uh, strep throat, I think, but I don't know what else, maybe just strep in general, but I, I had a 107-degree temperature. Um, and, uh, and another one was for a tumor that was rapidly growing that nobody knew what it was made up of. Um, so I assume, though I don't have conscious memory of these, of these that it, these episodes must have been very frightening to a young child, uh, and of course the parents may be terrifying. It must have seemed to me like it would last forever because I know my parents uh, had uh, le- they left. There wasn't a so-called brooming in in those days in the hospital. You left your child there in the trusting hands, supposedly, of the nurses and doctors. Yeah, and then you come back the next day. Um, so I was in the hospital uh, several times, and um, and I have in me, and this is may seem like a leap, but I've observed it for a long time, and so it probably is still a leap. But I do have a pattern, sort of like a built-in reflex in me, since then, uh, against uh, awareness and recognition and pursuit uh, of medical illness, which is a pretty strange thing to say when you're somebody who went to medical school. I mean, I was a good medical student, and I really got interested in things um, and in doing it as part of my education. But generally in my life, when it comes to, um, to noticing uh, things in myself that might indicate a medical condition, symptoms and signs and feelings, uh, I tend to uh, ignore them. I tend to look away from them. Uh, I've almost had an ethic in part of my life of uh, pushing such things away, thinking that that was uh, going to make me uh, likely to be uh, to remain healthy. Uh, crazy thinking, I guess, especially to acknowledge it to an unknown group like you, but... Um, but it's just been true, so what can I say? I mean, why not say it? Um, so, I, I, so I've tended to be that way um, for quite a while. I mean, when I was, yeah, very young, I just determined I would never miss school for illness, and I stuck pretty close to that. And I'd be ill, and I'd go anyway, and I'd play sports, and I'd be injured or ill, and I'd play anyway, and not because I was a hero and not because I was a tough guy, but I think because I just did not want to give in to the recognition that this was probably not a good idea. In fact, the hip surgery uh, that I had, the hip replacement, was not because of some sort of in, probably inborn uh, arthritis, but, but 28 years ago, I was di- 29 years ago now, I was diagnosed with uh, osteoarthritis in my right hip. And, and, and I had run the Boston Marathon and some other marathons, and I think I had really done myself in by just overdoing it severely to where there was lots of pain, and I tried to ignore the pain for a long time, and I played a lot of basketball, tried to ignore the pain. I played tennis, I ignored the pain, 
and just thought, you know, there's lots of good sayings that help you justify that kind of thinking, like, you know, no pain, no gain, or just play through it, or just run through it, and those kinds of things which, uh, which make you a tough guy athlete. Um, but actually, for me, they colluded with uh, just not wanting to think there was anything wrong. And I think I made that worse, and I think that's probably why I ended up having a uh, you know, problem with my hip. Um, so there's, it's obviously, if that's true, it's huge consequences there to me personally. And also, I have to fight against myself. There's this inner doubter that anything is wrong, and, and I have to have another part of me that says, you've got to go to a doctor. Um, you've got to get labs done. That doctor ordered some labs. You've got to go follow through on that. And there's another part of me that months can go by, and then I can say, oh, I forgot. I didn't go. And so there's a fight going on, and, and, and something that I, I was not radically accepting that this was uh, my reality. I just thought, I mean, I, I just thought, yeah, this is who I am. This is how I do things. And, you know, things aren't as bad as other people make them out to be. So I've had that, and I've gone with it, and it's had many ramifications. Uh, that includes that I don't like to focus in on illness in the people who I love. Uh, so if somebody who I love in my family or a very close friend has anything happening or going on that could conceivably be threatening, my mind automatically doesn't think much about it until it gets to a certain point. And if it gets past a certain point, I catastrophize uh, about it. But I basically automatically and without intention and without being happy about it, I just do this. I do it over and over and over again. And so not only do I put myself at risk of certain things and not seek out comfort where comfort might be reasonable. But with my loved ones, I will treat them sometimes as if things are fine when they're thinking things might not be fine or when things actually are not fine. And so rather than showing up as a really good caregiver, uh, I'm sorry to say I sometimes don't, uh, especially when it comes to physical illness. Uh, I just kind of like uh, think, oh, okay, uh, let me go about doing this. Let me go about doing that. And then I'll suddenly think, oh, I wonder how so-and-so is doing. And it's been a lot of time. And the other person feels bad and neglected. And, and I've been through variations of this. And it, it's a hard one. So I really thought when I was uh, doing this uh, podcast on this topic and trying to get more detailed about how to do it, I wanted to not only talk about ones that are just inconveniences where I think it allows you to have a good gear shift from one gear to another. But a big thing like this, which is a, uh, a really uh, has to be a focused thing, it's not just going to change. I've learned that because, you know, you can accept. What I've just told you it indicates that I have some acceptance of this problem in me. But even there, you don't know hearing me whether that acceptance is acceptance just in the realm of my experience that you might call thinking, that we often can accept things in our thoughts. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I do. Uh, I, I accept that I'm that way. I'm a, I accept that she's that way. I accept that he's that way. I accept their limitations on what I can do in the world. I accept that I don't have everything that I would want. Uh, all of that. 
And you can say that, but when push comes to shove, you might not accept it in other parts of your experience, like your perceptions. You may hang on to the image of what you're uh, you supposedly accepting one thing, but you're hanging on to an image that indicates that that part of you doesn't. And it isn't that you're lying or being a phony. It's just that acceptance of things in your thinking is different than accepting with other parts of yourself. So the other parts that are important, again, but your, your imagery, your perceptions, your sensations, sort of how do you perceive things? You know, it's like being blind to something or being deaf to something um, that's actually reality. And then there's emotions. So it might be that your, your emotions are not aligned with what they would be if you recognized reality. You know, like take me with the illness thing. I mean, if I, if my, what happens is I'm out of alignment uh, between my emotions and my thoughts about these things. Um, so that uh, I'll be, uh, I'll be just going along not having much of an emotional response to something that might be going on in me that could conceivably be uh, important or that's going on with, uh, with, uh, with someone I love. And then, uh, and, and so then I, and so I'm out of alignment with reality. The reality might indicate you should be a bit worried. You should be a bit like, um, pushing this. You should be going to a doctor. You should be following up on this. This is actually could affect your life and the life of those you care about. Um, and yet the emotions are not there in that way. And for me in my past, I've had emotions that are, you know, they're, they're just not there. My emotions are being driven by other factors. And then, boom, uh, it comes into full view, and I start thinking, oh, my God, this could happen. And then the emotions are intense. They, they, in a way, they go beyond reality because you really don't know anything yet, and you start uh, reacting to catastrophic thinking. So um, being radically accepting, I think, is not only to accept in your thoughts and your intentions, but to accept in your perceptions and sensations and your imagery, to accept in your body, whatever that would mean with different circumstances, sort of like to accept as opposed to blocking it out like you have a shield, uh, and to accept things in your emotions so that your emotions are, are, are attuned to reality as opposed to being driven partly by the effort to uh, neglect or reject reality. So um, as I thought more about this, uh, and this week I've been working on this literally, but partly because of this, but then this just allowed me to take it a little bit further and try to think of, what, of how to do this. And maybe in your life there's something that's been hard to accept about yourself, about a child of yours, uh, about a spouse of, or partner of yours, or about a job of yours, that you might think of, again, these kind of steps. So here's how I applied have applied this. I have to have myself in an accepting posture, as I said, where I'm in a low stress environment, where I don't have too many things going on that are distracting my mind, because I tend to have such a busy mind that that can interfere with recognizing reality. I can talk a good game sometimes, but actually something else is going on. Where, that, where I have less stimuli, both from inside and outside, uh, where I'm not distracted by the work that I'm doing, but I actually have some space in which to just let myself consider something. Uh, for me, it helps if there's silence 
um, uh, not music, not other things going on, and where I don't have to respond to anybody. And in some soothing kind of location, where I live is next to the woods, um, and I can sit out in the backyard and just kind of be in a chair and look at uh, the sky and look at the uh, trees and uh, just be thinking and bringing to mind the thing that I've, uh, like this in particular, and have done this uh, in the past couple of days a couple of times. And it means where, you're, where I have to be awake and alert with an effort to open my mind and tolerate my emotions and allow my thoughts to come and go and flow around in there and to notice my sensations and perceptions. In other words, there has to be a kind of a wide open, receptive, alert relationship to all these different domains of experience is for me, and I think probably for most people, however they might do it differently, uh, the best way to actually open up and accept reality in a radical way. Uh, then I bring into my mind an awareness of my reluctance. Again, it's the same pattern I was talking about before, where once you're in an accepting posture, I think you start out with uh, noticing that you are pushing away reality one way or another. You might notice your language. You might notice just that you're taking some effort to block something out. Because if you don't even notice that, of course, it's hard to do radical acceptance of reality. It's sort of parallel to the stages of change model that's been put out into the world uh, that where the first stage is pre-contemplation. It's sort of pre-acceptance. You're not even close to radical acceptance because you, have, you don't even think there's a problem. So you bring into mind an awareness of the reluctance, um, of the bias, of, in my case, the, the, the sort of anti-medical illness reflex, um, and begin to just let that play out in my mind. Notice the consequences of that. Notice the causes of that. Uh, forgive myself for how I do that, even though it has negative consequences, because it came into being for all uh, reasons that go way back. Um, and so go through that step. And then, just like I said before, to me, the next step in radical acceptance, after noticing the reluctance or noticing the rejection of, uh, of, of reality as it is, whatever kind it is, um, allow that to stay. Allow it to stay. Don't think this is a quick step-by-step -step procedure. Even calling it step-by-step -step might make it seem more formulaic and quick than it actually is for big things like this. Obviously, you know, if a reasonable person has been uh, dealing with this for a long time, it's not going to be easy. So I allowed the reluctance and the rejecting urge of medical illness or even thinking too much about it in specifics to be there in me as long as it needed to be there just floating around like of course i don't want to look at this it's a little bit like watching a cloud for a long time until the cloud decomposes or evaporates or de or condenses into the uh next its next stage in life which is maybe to become rain or snow or or to evaporate uh, or something like that but it's really like watching your reluctance without pushing it 
in a way, radically accepting your non-acceptance of reality. That step is easy to skip past because we want to jump into accepting reality, but actually the non-acceptance part of yourself is, holds very important forces and history and information. So I think if you can just stay with, gee, I feel, and try to feel it with your sensations, gee, I really want to blind myself to this. I really want to block this out. I really don't want to feel this. Block it out of your emotions. Block it out of your body. And just keep it a mental thing. You're just thinking, yeah, I should accept this, as if you could write a paragraph and it accomplishes anything. No, it has to get into your body, your emotions, your sensations, uh, and deep and into a deeper level that I might call consciousness, uh, which is sort of beyond all of these because what I'll call consciousness is this deeper level of the self that allows us to have awareness of the other things, awareness of our thoughts. What is the function in our self that allows us to notice our thoughts as if we're looking at them from above or notice our emotions if we are willing to observe and describe them? or to notice our sensations as sensations, our thoughts as thoughts, our perceptions as perceptions, and, and our images as images, and our bodies. How is it? Well, I think, you know, this is the sort of mysterious, deeper, uh, more ultimate aspect, I think, of us that's really important because if we don't bring that in to radical acceptance... Maybe we can accept with our emotions. Maybe we can accept with perceptions and images or with thoughts. Maybe we can accept with our body with certain techniques. But I think to really do radical acceptance, we are accepting, hopefully with all of that and with our entire self. And I don't know what else you'd call that. Linehan says uh, your, brain, your, your mind, your heart, and your soul. So I, I'm going to say that the soul is what I'm talking about right now. Um, and then I let the... Uh, reluctance, the desire not to think about medical things. It's funny, if you look at something like that that long in yourself and just keep coming back to it and keep coming back to it and think about it, you start to realize, oh, well, that's just what it is. I just have a reluctance to look at medical things deeply because uh, they elicit, uh, it elicits uh, danger in me, threat in me. So I've got to just keep looking at it and maybe walk through in my mind scenarios of uh, things going well, of things going badly, uh, and what that would be. Um, and so I've tried to let the uh, intensity of the, of the rejection of reality, medical reality, I tried to let it fade at its own pace, not trying to rush it away. And then into my view, naturally, unless I distract myself, comes the actual medical conditions, comes the, uh, the thought of, the, of a particular medical illness or a particular set of possible diagnoses uh, that have, uh, that are, and, and, and what comes to mind is the possible reasons for it, the causes of what might have brought it about, and, and, and its impact on me if it's something in me and, and the people that I care about. Um, or if it's in somebody that I love, it's the impact uh, on me and the people, other people that I care about, like in a family or something. And so 
uh, when you really bring that in and allow yourself now no longer to be looking at the reluctance to look at it, but now to look at it, it's like confronting what you have been moving away from by reflex. And rather than just get yourself to think correctly or act correctly, you actually let yourself entirely get into it. Now, the best posture, I was just thinking, is not always opening your eyes, closing your eyes, uh, getting in certain frame, uh, sitting in the backyard. For, for somebody, the best, the most accepting posture might be lying on your back on a comfortable thing, a bed, uh, grass, uh, something else. It might be sitting in a certain chair. Whatever you think is the most accepting context that will promote and nurture uh, the acceptance in the other parts of your experience. Now, now came next to move from acceptance in some degree of detail, thinking through, using my perceptions, using my inner imagery, using my thoughts, using sensations and awareness of my body to actually go through, uh, oh, this illness, oh, it could be this. Now, I don't. You don't want to do this in order to catastrophize. This is in order to radically accept if you've been pushing it away. Um, there are times not to do this, is I guess what I mean to be saying. But for me, uh, when I've been holding it at bay for so long, it's how do you skillfully uh, look at exactly what you've been avoiding? So I, I need to, uh, to not go with the thoughts. The thoughts might be things like, you know, these things could kill you quickly. Or, you know, these things can totally ruin your life and the life of people around you. You know, if you accept these things, rather than fight against the reality, they could take over. You know, to lay down in front of them and accept them is to uh, make yourself uh, weaker and more likely to be defeated by an illness. I mean, these are all just thoughts that are the kind of thoughts that promote reluctance, promote rejection, of reality and so if you just see them if you just penetrate them if you say them again and again and you start to hear these are just thoughts you know the first time you hear yourself say them you say yeah that's true but actually if you keep saying them if you keep saying god to, to, to just accept this illness is going to make it more likely to take over and, and beat me and then you say it again and you might say it again, and you might say it with different tone of voice. After all, you think, God, this is just a bunch of thoughts I'm having that have been here a long time, but actually we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know. You know, you start to be able to distinguish uh, recognizing your thoughts as reality, but they're reality thoughts. They aren't reality facts. And then you get a little clearer about reality facts. I also need to pay attention deeply to my emotions because on the surface, uh, I might have, uh, if I think about uh, a medical problem, I might uh, have resentment. I might have uh, anger, uh, unhappiness, maybe guilt about what I've been doing. But actually, below that surface, I might feel incredibly raw and vulnerable and frightened panicky, worried, helpless, you know, and, um, and having a fear of losing everyone and everything. 
which is actually maybe not realistic. So it's sort of like the emotions can do just what the thoughts can do. You can either just push things away and really um, uh, give short shrift to your emotions or not let your emotions from underneath arise. Instead, just stay angry. Just stay pissed off. Just fight, fight it out. Um, and then you won't be, get any closer to accepting reality. Um, I also needed to pay attention to my um, all these perceptions, my way of seeing reality, minimizing it. Um, on the one hand, saying, this is nothing. Are you kidding? I've been through worse than this. Or why would this happen to me? Or why would this happen to my child or my wife or, or my uh, brother um, or my sister? It's, uh, it's like you just think, well, no, this, is, this can't happen to me. Um, and then you, uh, or, or on the other hand, you think, this is a disaster. I'm going under when you actually might not be. So you, you want to find a way to bring your perceptions in line with reality. Um, and notice the body with, with whatever level of tension it has in it and, and distractedness in it. And, and, and notice that the tension and intense feelings in your body, there's a good chance that they are serving as some form of armor, as a shield against the reality of illness and its effects because you're afraid to let down your guard and let down your shield and let down the tension. And it's automatic. It isn't that you're doing that on purpose. And, 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 and so if you let the shield fade away and you let things come into alignment with reality, yeah, there's going to be some fear and some worry, but you might see things more accurately and be able to react to them in a more skillful way because you see them, you know, um, You know, there, there's, it's the same thing about pain. Let's say you go to a dentist. Most of us fear pain when we go to a dentist. And if you can sit there in the dental chair and think, okay, this is going to happen, and then you get caught up in anticipating the pain because you're remembering the worst pain you ever had at a dentist, and there you are, and you think, oh, no, and certain sounds trigger you. Um, is it possible to reverse course and radically accept that you are in a dentist chair, that you have teeth, that you have gums, that you have sensations there, that they need to be fixed, there's something wrong, and that they need to be looked at, and that actually there's no way to do it without either inflicting a certain amount of pain or really snowing with you with Novocaine, which might be preferable. But whatever it is, it's kind of like, can you be in the dental chair and have your body relaxed and have your breathing remain slow? and paste and can you remain the dental chair and have imagery that is uh, actually in alignment or, or is a purposeful distraction but you're not actually denying reality and therefore things don't get quite as bad uh, and you come out of there f feeling a little bit um, done and better um, so it, it's almost time to stop and um, let me just see if there are something else I would want to say Right now, I guess one of the most important things to me that I've come across in thinking more deeply about this is that, you know, there are all of these steps, and they're amazing, and they're fabulous, and Linehan's done a great job, and you can look at those steps in her manual under radical acceptance. So I'm not going to improve on those at all, um, but I do, it does help me to think that radical acceptance has to engage these different domains of functioning, 
the body, the mind, the thoughts, the perceptions, sensations, and emotions, basically those things. It has to engage those. You have to align yourself with reality with those, and often you're out of alignment uh, with whatever it is you want. And um, I hope these are generalizable to examples you have. And then what really helps me is if I think I need to engage my whole self, my deepest self, that self that allows me to be aware of all other domains of functioning that I might call consciousness or I might just call the ultimate self or ultimate awareness. And if that's engaged, it's just way more likely that whatever comes out of radical acceptance, it might be to find a solution to something, to push against something more effectively, because now I see it more accurately, uh, to, to move into a genuinely accepting position that allows me to just actually enjoy my life, even though other things that are going on that are, that are painful or worrisome, uh, if I can really use radical acceptance and, and, in, and engage that part of me, that larger overview uh, I should sing, but I don't have time, so thank God you're spared. Um, I should stop and sing, you know, the song of, of, of uh, you put your whole self in, you put your whole self out, you put your whole self in, and you shake it all about. That, whole, that song that I'm assuming all of us know, uh, because you can put part of yourself in to radical acceptance, these various domains, but we want to put the whole self in. And that is radical acceptance, and it's radical hokey pokey. <laughs> Next time I give a talk like this, I'm going to call it radical hokey pokey, because now I realize that's where it's going to end up. So, uh, all right, it's been an hour. Uh, this is, uh, I realize by listening to other podcasts, many of them are shorter. So uh, that's running around in my head, but I'm comfortable with an hour. I'm kind of a slow talker. Um, so there you go. There's uh, some things maybe to think about. Uh, I'll let you know by the places where I announce it what the next podcast will be about. Actually, it's under consideration uh, what I'm going to do. And, um, and, and also, I'm sort of uh, looking into some guests that have been through various versions of hell and have survived. So, everybody have a good week. I'm intending to do my next podcast next Wednesday, the 25th. 25th, 25th of July. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll be posting this on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and on uh, the DBT listserv. And Perry Hoffman with NEABPD, who plays this huge role in helping me to get this done and put it out there, it'll be on their website. Okay? Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>